I had, a, I had another series planned, and, and I had it in mind what I was going to talk about going into September and things. But I felt God wanted to take it a stage further in terms of what I've been talking about in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think now more than ever, there is a need for the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in individual believers' lives. Because I think, you know, back in the, the 70s and 80s when I first started experiencing the things of the Spirit, seeing God heal people, seeing God change lives, set people free, deliver people, there was a lot of people stepping out of, of traditional backgrounds to step into the things of the Spirit and, 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 and basically um, receive more of the things that Jesus talked about. And it seems that over the last 10 years, we've gone backwards in that. That, that we, we have somehow uh, replaced the Holy Spirit working through individual believers with an organized church. And in doing that, we've, we've achieved a lot of things. And in some ways that's exciting, but in some ways it's really sad. Because without the Holy Spirit, what we can achieve by human means is not sustainable in the same way as a move of God generated by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we we tend to have large meetings of existing Christians, but we're making very little impact outside those large meetings of existing Christians. Whereas, you know, and and I realize the world has changed, but the Holy Spirit hasn't changed and Jesus hasn't changed. And Jesus is still the king of the universe. He's still the conqueror. He's still the overcomer. He's still the Lord of Lords. And nothing's changed about what Jesus can do. So while the world might have changed from the 70s and 80s, Jesus hasn't. And the victory of Jesus is a constant that's been there for 2,000 years. And the power of the Holy Spirit hasn't changed at all to work on an individual believer's heart. And the problem is that we've replaced working on believers' hearts and unbelievers' hearts through the power of the Spirit by working on those hearts with logic and reason. And and that, that doesn't work to the same. Logic and reason might persuade a few hearts, but it will not change hearts en masse. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to talk about this morning, and I don't know how many weeks this will last now. It might be one or two, and it might be three or four. Who knows? But I want to talk this morning, and I want us to go back to the start. And I want to talk about the relationship between the power of the Spirit of God and grace. And it might be something you've not thought about before, or you've not heard about before, but it, it kind of really moves a lot of the things that we've, even in charismatic circles, have put up in order to, that we think we need to do to access the things of the Spirit. And so I want to talk about, and I want to start, basically, here's the thing, and this, this is a, you know, it's an issue for every single pastor and every single believer and everybody who's in ministry. When you deal with the Holy Spirit a lot of things are going to happen that you won't be able to take credit for. So you're going to have to get used to the idea that God's going to start taking the credit. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Because it's, so, it's not about 
us building things for us. It's about the Holy Spirit working through us to give glory to Jesus for the victory that he's achieved. And that's, that's really a starting point because I want, you to, uh, I want you to, if you've got your Bibles and if, you, if you've got your Bibles on your phones or whatever, I want you to go with me to Zechariah chapter 4. So Old Testament, right at the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter, chapter 4. And I'm going to, uh, well, I'm basically going to read you a verse that if you've been around church for any length of time at all, particularly if you've been in, uh, you know, places where, where people actually talk about the Holy Spirit or whatever, you've heard this verse. Um, and it's probably on like millions of posters around the world. So let me, let me read you this verse. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. So, and, and basically, Zechariah is having a conversation with an angel. And it's the angel he speaks. So he answered me and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the person that was leading the nation of Israel at that time when they returned to the land after their exile. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, how many of you have heard that verse before? Yeah. yeah? And how many of you like have had discussions and go, yeah, we need to do it by the Holy Spirit and not by natural human means and, and our own strengths and our own efforts and all that sort of stuff? Here's, here's the thing. How much do we actually follow through on what I've just said? that we need to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, although people get healed when we pray for them, we don't heal them. The Spirit of Christ in us heals them. And so everything that we do by the Spirit is of no credit to us. It's for the glory of Jesus. Now, Here's what I want you to, to see, because I haven't put this up on the screen, because I wanted you to, in my Bible, I've actually got to turn the page to go to the next verse. Because don't you sometimes wonder, like, you know these verses, but you, you go like, well, what happens next? Or what came before that? What's this about? And basically, the, the, what Zachariah is doing, he's a, he's a prophet who is reminding the people that when they came back to the land, the land of Judah, it was to reconstruct the temple. And they'd kind of got off mission. They were kind of building big houses for themselves and the temple wasn't getting done. And he's reminding them that actually what they're doing in rebuilding the temple is really important because the Messiah is going to come one day and stand in that temple. And that's why it's important. And so he then says this, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone. That's Jesus. He'll bring forth, sometimes he's called the cornerstone. He will bring forth the capstone or the cornerstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now that, you go, well, okay, well, that's good. I like that word grace. We like grace, don't we? Now, here's, here's the point. When they said that, 
they would have no concept of what he was talking about. Because Jesus hadn't come, and they would have no idea how, what this capstone was and what, what this grace thing was going to be about. They, they'd experienced grace before the law, but at that time they'd experienced like 2,000 years of law, temple worship, sacrifices, the whole system. And they're, they're building a temple, and he's saying something is going to come that he's going to stand in that temple, and he's going to say, grace, grace to you. He's going to take down that very thing that you have built and change its purpose to be used for a new purpose, which is the purpose of the kingdom, which works by grace, not by might, not by power, not by anything you can do, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's why it's grace, because you can't do anything to make this work. You can't do anything to make this work. And, you know, we get today, because we're trained from, from like a really early age, we're very into what we can do. Uh, our ability, what we can make happen. And every time we make something happen now, we put it on social media so people know that we made something happen. And then they can all like what we've made happen. And we, we have an orientation to around, around things that we can do and that we can make happen. Here's the thing. When we do that, when we approach our, our faith and our life with that attitude and that approach, we put limits on what God can do. He is now limited to what we can make happen. And so we need to take the limits of God by seeing what he can do and what he can make happen. Are you with me? There's a lot happens in there, isn't there? And they all had the H in the correct place, so I'm happy. Now, sometimes we don't understand the work of the Spirit because we don't understand grace. You're starting to look worried now. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Is Here's a truth that I find, I found it, I found it really challenging when when God started talking to me about this. I found it personally challenging because um, when you hear something like this, you try and I, I try and go like, where where am I at, at in relation to that? And here, I, I wrote it down. This is what what I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me: there should be obvious differences between those led by the Spirit and those dependent on their own national, natural ability that everybody can see. There should be obvious differences between those led by the Spirit and those dependent on their own natural abilities that everybody will be able to see. Now, because we don't understand grace, we, we, we come out with some really strange comments. And that puts people off the things of the Spirit. And... Uh, knowing how that they can enter in to uh, see the things that Jesus said they would see. How to, you know, how to pray for people to be healed, how to pray for people to be set free, how to deliver people, how to release people from bondage, how to win souls. And, and we don't fully step into that because we've kind of got a background that, that, that makes us 
take it one step back and not really ever receive the power that we need to be able to do that. And so what we've done is, because we haven't understood grace, we've put obstacles in the way to the power of the Spirit working in our lives and being baptised in the Spirit. How many of you, I'm not saying how many of you believe this is true, I'm I'm actually saying how many of you heard heard this, because I used to hear it over and over again in my 20s and 30s, and I still hear it a lot now. I still hear it, you know, like when you're sometimes scrolling through the channels on on the religious things, you hear it a lot. And it, and it kind of comes out a bit like this. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an extreme version of it to make sure you, you know what I'm talking about. You're a filthy vessel and you can't get filled without the, to, with the Holy Spirit until you're clean. That's still around. In fact, I, I watched sort of some of the religious channels for about two hours to do a test on this and I heard it three times in various ver- versions. Now, here's the thing. Most people here will go, well, that's wrong. And then you'll go, but these are like famous people saying that. Maybe it's me that's wrong. And we get a bit confused in our head. You see, faith comes by hearing, but unbelief also comes by hearing. And so the more we hear stuff like this, the more it creates a doubt in ourselves that we aren't in a place where we can receive the fullness of the Spirit. Um. And then you get the the other side of it where people will focus on some of the more extreme stuff that people have attributed to the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of the spooky-wooky stuff, and and think, well, you need to be really spooky-wooky in order to be baptized in the Spirit, and I'm just not a spooky-wooky person. Well, you don't have to be spooky, and I I rebuke the spirit of spooky-wooky this morning. (laughs) You see, Jesus was totally normal except he flowed in the power of the Spirit, and when he touched people, they fell over, they got healed, they got set free. It's kind of spooky-wooky when people fall over and nothing changes. But if somebody falls over and gets up healed, that's the power of God. We, we judge things by the fruit, not what we see with our eyes. And so we don't want to discount things because it's not us. You see, God works through each of us as an individual person. It doesn't require us to be like somebody else in order to be filled with the power of the Spirit. Okay, you still with me? Okay, so give, you, give yourself like a break and say, I don't, have to, I don't have to be like that other person that I didn't want to be like. I can be me. I can be me and let the Holy Spirit will still work through me. Now, here we, here we go. So go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Well, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start first. I, I'll go to Luke. Luke 24. In Luke 24, Jesus comes out with his statement. So here's the thing. Jesus, before he went to the cross, had spent a bit of time telling the disciples that that they would do some of the things he'd done and even greater things. And he'd come out with some weird statements that they didn't understand quite at the time, which it was better for them if he left them. And because he was going to send another comforter, another of the same kind as him, just like Jesus, he was going to send somebody else. And so Jesus is now resurrected, and the disciples are are, are mega excited because he's come back from the dead, and he's walked through walls, and he's turned up, and he's ate fish, and he's done all sorts of things, and they're they're like really excited. 
it's all going to work out all right now. And he says, actually, that's just reminding you, I'm going. I'm, I'm going. I'm out of here. But Jesus, you've just come. No, I'm out of here. You're going to do it. Because I'm sending another like me. Now, listen to this. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, that word endued, anybody know what endued means? Who said that? Who said clothed? Got it in one. That word endued, even, even how we used to use the word, but I don't think we, we quite use that, but from the original uh, Greek and everything, the word endued means to be fully dressed or clothed. So here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Do not go out naked. Bad idea to be wandering around naked. Because people will look at you, you might think you're the business, but they will look at you and they'll say, it's like the emperor's new clothes, they're naked. And there's unbelievers out in the world and they look at us and they go naked because they don't see us clothed with the spirit. And so, you know, he's saying you should be fully dressed or clothed with the spirit. Go now to uh, the corresponding verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, why, do, why would Jesus say that? Remember, these guys, they've lived three years with Jesus. So every day, just imagine this, you were doing this with me. Every day they've sat at Jesus' feet and he's taught them. And he's taught them how the kingdom works. And then he's demonstrated to them how the kingdom works. And then he sends them out and they have a go. And these disciples have already raised the dead, healed the sick, cleansed the leper and cast out demons. Now, if you're in that place, do you not think you would think you were pretty cool and ready to start church? Yeah? Because it would be good to even be in that place, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, but Jesus is he's saying to them, you haven't got what it takes. Without the Holy Spirit clothing you, you do not have what it takes. I'd have been kind of shocked if that had been me. I'd have gone like, three years, Jesus? I heard, that, I heard that prodigal son thing 33 times you've told that one, Jesus. And, and, I, and I, you know, I've, that, dead, that dead person when they came back changed my life. Changed my life, it did Jesus. Changed their life more than mine, but changed my <laughs> life. Changed the life. And, and the leopard, like when, it all, when all them scales dropped off and his fingers grew back. It was amazing, Jesus. I'll never forget it. Yeah, but you haven't got what you need. It's kind of a really strange thing, isn't it? If they didn't have what they needed without the Holy Spirit, how can we be so arrogant to think that we have what we need without the Holy Spirit? And that, that kind of challenges me. And, but it, 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 it makes me think we need to do things differently. We need to do things differently.
You see, there's, an, there's all sorts of aspects of the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about in recent weeks about hearing the voice of God and the different ways we hear the voice of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we lack a guide and a leader to point us in the direction in which to carry out God's will. Without the Holy Spirit, we lack the wisdom to know what to do in the specific situations in our life. Now, I know, you know, the Word of God is preeminent and, and, and should be a major investment of our time. But the Word of God gives you the framework and the principles. It does not give you an answer and the wisdom for every specific situation. That's why we talk about having, um, you know, Paul plays for a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the eyes of our hearts uh, been opened and uh, opened the eyes of our understanding to, for Ephesians. Because they need to know and we need to know where to go, what to do, what, what to say and when to say it and when not to say it. And we need all those sort of things. So without the Holy Spirit, we can't do that. We... We, 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 we kind of fire off as loose cannons, upsetting everybody, left, right, and center, and not getting the kind of the fruit that we're looking for. And um, without the Holy Spirit, I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll go back to it again, we have a limit to what can be achieved, and that limit is what we can do. And worse than that, we might be doing those things, but heading in the wrong direction as we do them. So there's an element of direction and there's an element of empowerment that comes with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. When we start to rely on the Holy Spirit more in our life, it will change our attitude to our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, basically, when you're going through, who's going through stuff? Or who's been through stuff? Anybody not ever been through anything? Okay, well, I'm talking to you. Everybody who's ever been through stuff... Going through stuff now, or every like ever likely to go through stuff. When you when you when you get the, the this walking with the Holy Spirit, your attitude changes, and that that's a kind of a, a sign to us that we're walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And here's his kind of it works like this: suddenly your attitude becomes whatever it is, everything I need, I've got, and whatever's going on right now. I'm in total confidence it's going to turn for my good. Even though I can't see how it's going to turn, it's going to turn for my good. And more than that, right in the middle of it, when I can't see how it's going to turn for my good, I don't know how I've got everything I need because it doesn't feel like I've got everything I need to get me through it. I've got somebody right alongside me who is my guide, my strength, my comforter, my counselor, and my wisdom who's going to tell me the next step to take because I can't see where I'm going in the middle of it. That's what walking with the Holy Spirit looks like. That's, that's the, the, the walk that changed the world in less than 150 years after Jesus. That's, that's the walk we've forgotten. The walk of the individual believer with the Holy Spirit. 
where our faith does not go up and down with circumstances and what is happening in our life. And our connection with God doesn't go up and down all over the place with what is happening in our life. But instead, we have the attitude that I've got what I need, even if I can't see it. This is going to turn for my good, even though I don't know it is. And how do I know that? Because I've got somebody right here with me and I can hear his voice and he's telling me and he's giving me wisdom and he's guiding me and he's going to get me through this because he loves me. Amen? Okay, so coming back. So this Acts 1.8, that word power. Now, I'm sure a lot of you know that's a translation of a word called dynamis, which we get the word dynamite from, explosive power and all that. Here's how I want you to think of it, because sometimes you can get the idea that power has to be explosive, and unless it's going boom, boom all over the place, and there's flames coming out of buildings and all that stuff, it's not power. That, that word dynamis actually encompasses this, the ability to get done what needs to get done. The ability to get done what needs to get done. And so when do you get the ability to get done what needs to get done? When you are clothed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you get this when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But at the point in time Jesus is saying that, the disciples were already born again. Going like, oh, Mark's heretic. Where's he get that from? Okay, the disciples were already born again. I don't know that. Because Jesus breathes his spirit into them. You you can read about him doing that. After After he was resurrected, he breathed life, he breathed his spirit into each one of them. And he tells them, that although they have new life within them, they had to wait for this one who is going to clothe them with power. So how do you, how do you get your head around that? Because I used to like think, well, that's, that's, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand. If I've got the Holy Spirit in me, why I need the Holy Spirit all around me? Okay? And I still can't explain it. Because it's a supernatural thing. But the way I've kind of got my head around it these days is this. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah? And the life I now live, I live by the Spirit of God. Sorry, the faith of God. And, and, this, and from that spirit life within me. Okay? That's Christ in me. But Christ in me gives me new life. He regenerates my heart. He gives me a new heart. He breaks the power of sin. He breaks sin's hold on me. He gives me the potential to change as a person. But Christ in me is not the whole of what Christ died to give us. He also did something else. He put me in him because I'm in Christ. So the power of the Spirit is in me, but I am in Christ, so he clothes me. And how do we release what we know? We release it by acknowledging that which is ours. Philemon 1, well, Philemon whatever, because you've only got one chapter. (laughs) Verse 6. By the acknowledging of what is in us, that, that gives substance to our faith. So Christ in me and me in Christ. 
the Holy Spirit in me and me clothed with the Holy Spirit because he's the spirit of Christ. Yeah? I know that's deep. That's your deep bit for this morning. So he, at this moment you go, that's he's finished with the tough stuff. Okay? He's still with me. Right. Now, how do you get clothed with the Holy Spirit? How do you start to walk in the fullness of the Spirit? I'm going to make a statement now. And this is probably one of the best statements you'll hear. If you want to walk in the power of the Spirit, sin is not the issue that is stopping you. Sin is not the issue. I'm not saying you shouldn't deal with sin in your life. Just get that. Because you have Christ in you and he's there to transform you into his likeness. And he's broke the power of sin in your life. And he's broke you to set you free from the very things that would destroy you and mess up your relationships, kill your relationships, kill your body, kill your life. And just destroy your relationship with God because you're doing that. So, but I'm not talking about that. That doesn't stop the power of God working through you. You've been given the Holy Spirit to transform you. Sin is not the issue. You are not okay with God because you don't sin. You are okay with God because Jesus died for your sins. And here's the problem. We have tied God's ability to work in our life, in power, to our view of our goodness. And we have reinforced that by all the things we've been doing in church for, for centuries, telling us that we needed to clean up our act in order to get God to move. In order to be, get God not to be angry with us. In order to get God not to take our salvation away from us. And in order to do all these things that we needed to do that and that and that and that. And it was never ever enough. And here's the really sad thing. God loved you whatever you did. And Jesus died to deal with and pay for your sin. And he won a victory that made available to you the fruits of that victory. And that is called grace. That's called grace. What you, you, Grace was something that was done 2,000 years ago. It's not being worked on at the moment. Because Jesus' victory was full and complete. He said it is finished, which means perfectly perfect and completely complete. It's done. Everything I could do, everything I came to do, everything that is necessary to do, everything ever anybody could do, I've done and I'm finished. How do I know that? Because Peter says, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. There's nothing left out. So, when we... When we assume and get this idea that the power of God working in our life depends on us doing more and more or being perfect, 
we therefore uh, cut ourselves out from actually flowing in the results of the victory of the cross. Okay, it's deep. Okay, still with me? God does not define us by our behavior. He defines us by our belief in Christ. And what he is talking about is his ability in you is not based on how far along the track you are in getting your life sorted out. His ability in you is based on how much you believe in the victory of the cross and what Christ did for you. Because remember, not by your might, not by your power, not by your ability, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And with grace, shouts of grace, grace attached to it. Okay. You see, God isn't good to us because we're good. God's good to us because he's good. God doesn't forgive us because of what we've done or what we've said. God forgives us because Christ paid for it. And we receive it by faith. So, I've got a question for you. How many people here are flawless? Never done anything wrong. How many, how many people have managed to get through this morning flawless? Any, anybody want to volunteer that? Well, I've had a pretty good morning, so I'll, I'll put my hand half up. <laughs> it's, that's a kind of half hand, you know. But we're not flawless, are we? So how did you ever think you were going to get to heaven on the basis of you? Because you couldn't even do it this morning. And it's bank holiday Sunday. You're on your way to church. In fact, probably you messed it up while you were in church. And, and you thought that you were going to get to heaven because you were good. You're not going to do it because it doesn't depend on you. You screwing up this morning, it probably messed up a bit of your life and probably messed up a bit of relationship or messed something else up. And the Holy Spirit is working in you to change that in you right now. So let him. But he's got nothing to do with whether you're going to get to heaven or you're going to be able to access the power of God. Christ in you is the bit that does that bit. You in Christ is the release of the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, and I, I hate this word. You know when you, you've got those, those forms you fill in, it says, what religion are you? And it offers you C of E as an option. And I'm going, that's not even a religion. <laughs> what religion are you? C of E? No, I'm not C of E. Methodist? No, they're not, they're not religion. And, and you've got this long list of things. What religion are you? I am not part of a religion. I hate the concept of religion. Because by, by very definition, religion means what you can do to be pleasing to get yourself to God. 
Christianity is the biggest anti-religion on the planet. In fact, it's the only anti-religion on the planet. Because Jesus came to set us free of religion. Zachariah says, there's somebody going to stand in the temple and he's going to take all your religion away because he's going to say grace, grace to you. And that's the foundation stone of what is coming. Here's the trouble with religion. Religion has taught us to try to be like God, but it's given us no ability to do it. None. Zero ability to do it. But it keeps beating you up because you're not perfect. So just take a moment now and, and, and feel beaten up for your, your failure to get through Bank Holiday Sunday without being perfect. But that's, that's what we do. You know, the, 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 I know quite a lot of uh, Christians who have got in their head that it's only a good Sunday if I've weeped and wailed and I come out of church with the weight of the world on, the shoulder, on my shoulders and know it was my fault. And, and people have got this mentality that that's how, how things go. Look at what Jesus says. You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's good to see what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you will receive power when you're good enough. He doesn't say you will receive power when you have slaughtered 36 bulls on a Saturday at the temple. He doesn't say you will receive power when you put the chairs out at church. Or you'll receive power because you were nice to Pastor Mark. It's a good thing to be nice to Pastor Matt. I just say that, but it's not where you get power from. You get power because the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because you're in Christ. Let me just show you something, and then then we're gonna we're gonna pray, okay? Because who, who who would who would like more of the power of God? Operating in their life. Yeah? So we're going to pray. We could be here till like 10 o'clock at night if I do it all one at one. Anyway, here we go. Let's, let's see how we get to Because by the end of this, you might not want me to pray for you. But we're going to pray. So this is, I know I realize that there's lots of books and lots of things written about these things. And you can argue it different ways. But this is my theology and this is my church. So we'll just go with what I say. Okay. <laughs> And I'll just, I'll just tell you this is why I say it. Was that, is that helpful? Yeah? Um, it's not that I'm aware that I couldn't write 200 pages with, about other things, but this is what I think. And it works for me. And people get healed, people get set free, lives get changed, and God's building his kingdom. So I'll go with this one. So John 20, 25 says this. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, since he's talking about his Tom, Thomas. So Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus popped through the wall. And so he says, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to him, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of, of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
Now, here's, here's how this is working. Everybody else, you see, people, I went to a, church, I went to a school called St. Thomas's Primary School. And I got saved in a church called St. Thomas's Church, Kendall. And all ever, anybody said when you mentioned St. Thomas's, oh, Doubting Thomas. <laughs> okay, so I grew up with, like, years of Doubting Thomas. Here's the thing. How you read the Bible depends on your picture of Jesus. And if you have the wrong picture of Jesus, you'll have the wrong conclusion when you read things. Okay, now... Here's the thing. Every other disciple had already put their finger in the hole and put their hand in his side. Thomas hadn't because he wasn't there. And they're saying to him, Jesus is alive. And he's saying, I'll only believe it when I've, I've seen what you've seen. Yeah? When I see it, I'll believe it. Thomas is no more doubting than any other disciples, but he just wasn't there when Jesus popped through the wall. Right? He's not, he, he's not like a weak disciple. He just wasn't there. Now, here's the bit where I mention about it matters what you picture of Jesus is. Because Thomas says, you know, Jesus pops through the wall. Thomas is there. Thomas falls down at his feet and says, my Lord and my God. Jesus is the one that says, put your hand in there. Put it in my side. Thomas recognizes without touching. See, here's what Jesus then says, and this is absolutely brilliant. He said, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, he's already done better than the other disciples. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you're going like, okay, where's Matt going with this? Here's where I'm going. Jesus is not telling Thomas off. Jesus is saying, you you believed because you saw me. These guys had to put their hands in. I gave you that opportunity. You didn't take it. You just fell at my feet and said, my Lord and my God. He's saying there is a further stage which is about to come when people will not will believe when they haven't seen me. And as a result, they will be what? Blessed. There is a new covenant coming when it does not depend on having seen and touched and been with me. And these people are going to be blessed because they're going to believe not having seen, not having touched, not having put the fingers in the wound. 
And that gets me really excited. Why? Because I didn't have a chance to hold Jesus. I didn't have a chance to put my fingers in his wounds. I never saw it. I never walked with him. I wasn't there. And yet I believe so. I am blessed. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. It's the kingdom without having to see to believe. We believe and then we see. It's an upside down kingdom that took religion out the way and replaced it with grace. I'm excited now. (laughs) Was Thomas born again when that happened? Yes, he was. And Jesus tells him to wait for the Spirit. All of us need to not go out naked. It's embarrassing walking around naked and saying, look at me, I got the new clothes, I'm a Christian. And people are looking and go, looks like the same thing to me. Can't see it. I I believe that's the biggest problem why people today aren't flooding into the kingdom. It's not that people have lost their sense of spirituality or desire for spiritual things or anything like that. It's that they don't see as clothes. They see as naked, they go, they look like me, there's nothing there. And so they reject us and they reject Jesus because they don't see the clothes. And we're going around going, look at me, look at me. And they're going, invisible to me, emperor's new clothes. Because we're not clothed with spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Have any of you heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones? It's just because I'm old. <laughs> I'd just like to point out I'm not the oldest elder. I'd just like to point that out. He's, he's out the room, so it's okay. <laughs> Where is he? He's there. He's there. <laughs> I thought he'd gone to kids. Okay. He looks young for his age. <laughs> oh, I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs> yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones. So Martin Lloyd-Jones was uh, like one of the foremost evangelical preachers. Like he wrote, he wrote but this guy, I mean, I know I did a really long sermon series on Romans a couple of years ago. It like lasted half a year. He spoke for three and a half years on Romans and never finished. And you go like, and I've got the books on my shelf. I can prove it. They're that long. One day I'll, 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 I'll have enough time to read them all. I, I have dabbled, you know, like, because they're a bit, a bit. It's like he could talk for six weeks on one verse. He was kind of the, the, the guy. And he said this because he, he, he talked to, actually talked a lot about the power of God and the baptism of the Spirit. And he, and he looked at his congregation one morning and he said, I'm going to look at you as the world looks at you. And you're telling me you've got it all. Well, if you've got it all, where is it? If you've got it all, where is it? Because if you've got it, surely I should see it. People need to see as clothed with the Spirit. 
We know we have the spirit in us, but they need to see us clothed with the spirit too. And they need to see a church that is not by natural might and natural power, but by the spirit, says my Lord. That doesn't mean we do nothing. It means what we do, we're following the Holy Spirit and doing it with his power. And he gets the glory. Amen. Amen. So what I'd like you to do, I, I did think that I'd get everybody lined up, but there's a lot of you. I was, I was thinking like East August Bank Holiday, small group in the middle. No, let's stand. It's pretty clear to me, and this is what I mean by my theology, that people became clothed with the Spirit as a second event when they acknowledged that they were in Christ and asked to receive the Holy Spirit. Not to be born again, but to do the business of the kingdom. Um, in... Um, Acts, we, we find that, that people uh, are getting saved and miracles are breaking out and the, the disciples go out and they say, you know, what, what's going on? And they say to them, well, you know, these people, they heard the message about Jesus, they, they received the message about Jesus, they were baptised in water and the apostles say to them, but were they baptised in the Spirit? And they say, well, no, we haven't heard of this baptism in the Spirit. We've just heard of receiving Jesus and getting baptized in water. And now we, we want to be baptized in the Spirit. So they lay hands on them and they get baptized in the Spirit. Now, if you've never been, had that, then we're going to have a team over here who pray specifically for that. Now, if you've been baptized in the Spirit, a good way to tell you you've been baptized in the Spirit is you know you've been baptized in the Spirit. <laughs> okay? So you might go, it might only be a tiddly little bit that's showing at the moment, but I, I've got half a sleeve here, and it's, it's hanging on, so we're all right. We're going to pray that actually we start to step into more of the fullness, get ourselves out of the way, and start knowing that it's all about him and what he has done and not what we can do. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. you. You might, I always find it good when I'm receiving to like look like a lamppost and wave my hands around in the air, you know. It's, it might just be me, but I feel I'm closer to heaven when I do that. So, Father, I thank you that you sent your promise, the Holy Spirit. And that right now he is in us as your born again children. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for that. Let's, let's just give him thanks for that first. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I thank you and I acknowledge that you are within me. But right now, Lord, I'm turning my thoughts to the equal truth that I am in you 
And I am asking you, Lord, to surround me and clothe me. I'm asking you to fill me to overpouring. power, the power of your spirit. The same power that the disciples walked in. I receive from you. Acknowledging that none of it depends on me. I choose to get out of the way And to know it all depends on you. Your goodness. Your victory. The inheritance that you give. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you. And right now, I receive the clothing of your spirit in the fullness that you said and that you promised. A spirit that will make me a witness to you in Cambridge, in Haverhill, in Letchworth, in Ely, as far as Norwich, as far as London, and to the ends of the earth. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, we receive I receive on the basis that I have not yet seen, but I believe. So I receive your blessing, Lord. I receive the blessing of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Let's just give him thanks. If you prayed that in faith, he's answered that prayer. You might feel something, you might feel nothing. But he has answered it because we receive by faith, not by what we see or feel. So right now, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.